Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his talk. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Having heard the word of God, we make confession of our most holy faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophet. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated for the hymn of the day.
grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God that is the basis for our meditation this morning is the epistle reading from the Philippians chapter 3 that was read a few minutes ago. At the risk of showing my age to such a distinguished group of young people, although Pastor Haverstock has already gone down that path, I want to begin this morning with the lyrics of a song from the early 1970s of one of my favorite southern rock and blues musicians and songwriters, the late Leon Russell. He's a stranger in a strange land. Or as St. Paul would put it in the epistle reading that we just heard, our citizenship is in heaven. And think for a moment who is writing those words. For here was a man who happened to be a Roman citizen, something that was highly treasured and valued in the ancient world. Moreover, he writes these words to the church at Philippi, many of whom were also Roman citizens as the city was initially settled by veterans from the former Roman legions, and with the result that Philippi had the special status of being called an imperial city with certain rights and privileges that other cities did not have. And yet the Apostle Paul writes to them about a much greater citizenship than even being a Roman citizen. And he does so by, in effect, setting before them, and also each one of us this morning, this question. Are you a citizen of heaven or of earth? Or, as Leon Russell would put it, are you? a stranger in a strange land. Now, to be a citizen of the earth means, as the apostle says, to walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, to have one's mind set on earthly things. Moreover, such citizens of the earth have no God unless it be their own fleshly desires and sinful appetites. Their God is their belly, is how Paul puts it a most vivid and graphic expression, describing very bluntly the lure of the sinful flesh, the enticing things of this world that seek to control our lives and our speech and conduct. Now, to be sure, the ancient Romans, who had a particular god or goddess for just about anything and everything, did not happen to have some deity named the Blessed Belly or the Gut God, They erected no sacred shrine to the sacred stomach, but they did, however, live and act as if they had. With minds set on earthly things, they lived their lives to the fullest, satisfying every conceivable desire that tickled their fancy or inflamed their heart. In fact, they even made a virtue of their many sins and gross acts of immorality, glorying, as the apostle says, in their shame. And in his letter to the Christians in Rome, he catalogs in greater detail how citizens of Rome, how citizens of the earth think and live. And listen to what he says. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, 
disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now this, of course, was not limited to the ancient Roman citizens of the first century, but such is also how citizens of the earth still live and act today here in the 21st century, including, yes, many Canadian citizens. And we need only define the term, so to speak, to see how true this is. For if God is, as the large catechism puts it, that to which we look for all good, and in which we find refuge and to which our heart clings, and if stomach or belly, which is the Greek word for the seed of sinful passions and desires, whether it be food or drink or pleasure or sex or money or fame or power or work or hobbies or what have you, then quite frankly, our God too is often our stomach, isn't it? And St. Paul not only warns us here of becoming an enemy of the cross of Christ in this way, but he goes on to speak of the dire results and the dreadful consequences of having a stomach for your God of setting your heart and mind on earthly things, of being a citizen of the earth. Their end is destruction, he simply says. Or, as we recall those words from the small catechism explanation of the close of the commandments, God threatens to punish all who transgress these commandments. And how important, therefore, how necessary that we heed the apostles' words of warning here. But then there is more, as the apostle continues. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And never is that scriptural truth. As Christians, we live in the world, but not of the world, expressed more clearly than it is here in these words. For you see, citizens of heaven, strangers in a strange land, have the one and true and only God as their God. Citizens of heaven, strangers in a strange land, have no permanent address here on earth, for their names are written in the Lamb's book of life above. Citizens of heaven live here on earth as guests, yes, as strangers, for their real home is the heavenly mansions above, an eternal home, prepared by the very Son of God himself who came down from heaven to earth in order to give his life as a ransom for many, to be the atoning sacrifice for your sins and mine. Citizens of heaven, strangers in a strange land, do not ignore or disregard their many sins and violations of God's holy law. But they will plead often, as we did at the beginning of today's divine service, Almighty God, have mercy upon us, forgive us our sins, and lead us to everlasting life. Now for the Apostle Paul, this being a citizen of heaven, the sure hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ, is what gave real meaning and direction to his earthly life. 
After all, he was not exactly deriving too much benefit from being a Roman citizen when he penned these words of our text. For he was sitting in a Roman prison, awaiting trial before Caesar himself for proclaiming and confessing that Jesus Christ and not Caesar is Lord. For yes, being a stranger in a strange land. And yet in spite of the dire straits in which he finds himself here on earth, he continues to live as a citizen of heaven, speaking to others about the heavenly kingdom of God that comes to anyone who repents of their sins and believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of what earthly kingdom that they might be a citizen of. In fact, he even says here in Philippians that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard that my imprisonment is for Christ. And yes, new converts to Christ, new citizens of heaven, new strangers in a strange land would soon be found even within the imperial palace itself. And so he closes the epistle with these words. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And in like manner, this contrast between being a citizen of the earth and a citizen of heaven will show itself in a number of ways in the course of our daily living. A citizen of the earth, for instance, is concerned about such things as pollution or overfishing or deforestation or global warming because, you know, if we don't do anything for Mother Nature, we will eventually destroy ourselves. A citizen of heaven, a stranger in a strange land, however, is concerned about those same environmental issues because this world is God's creation, because he has made us stewards and caretakers of that creation. A citizen of the earth will seek to obtain employment in order to make a lot of money for himself, to be self-fulfilled, to enjoy the good life. A citizen of heaven, however, a stranger in a strange land, regards his station in life, whatever that might be, and the monetary benefits that might come from his or her work as an opportunity to serve others. A citizen of the earth will spend hours discussing such things as politics, economy, sports, the COVID pandemic, or what have you. A citizen of heaven, however, a stranger in a strange land, recognizes when all is said and done that only one thing is needful, to hear and learn, to discuss and meditate upon God's holy word, the word that alone is truth, that alone makes us wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. A citizen of the earth says to herself, it's my life and I'll do whatever I want to do. A citizen of heaven, however, a stranger in a strange land will pray as Jesus himself did in the garden of Gethsemane. Not my will but thine be done, O heavenly Father. A citizen of the earth could care less about disobeying God's law, about his moral and ethical behavior, regarding such notions like sin as being old-fashioned, out-of-date concepts. A citizen of heaven, however, a stranger in a strange land, will confess often, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. A citizen of the earth will use and abuse and misuse the fruits of the earth with the attitude, 
Let's eat, drink, and be merry. A citizen of heaven, however, a stranger in a strange land, will not only receive with thanksgiving those many material blessings of God's creation, but will also eat and drink often of the very body and blood of the Lord Jesus in the heavenly holy supper, and, see, and so be truly merry and joyful. A citizen of the earth will pay taxes for government services, for schools, health care, fire and police departments, road maintenance, and the like. Although he will, of course, do anything to be sure that what he renders to Caesar is as little as possible. A citizen of heaven, however, a stranger in a strange land, receives freely without cost God's services, forgiveness of sin, life, eternal salvation, and then gives an offering generously and cheerfully in thanksgiving to God for the gift of his own Son and for the support of the proclamation of this gospel message of salvation, rendering to God the things that are God's, as Jesus himself put it in the gospel reading. A citizen of the earth has this goal for his or her life to be the top student, to get that corner office and huge salary that comes with it, to live in a new house complete, of course, with granite countertops and stainless steel appliances. A citizen of heaven, however, a stranger in a strange land, will say and think, as St. Paul puts it a few verses previous to our text, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And in order that you might be and remain a citizen of heaven, the new Jerusalem, that you might live in this earthly kingdom called Canada as a citizen of heaven, yes, as a stranger in a strange land, in, not of, as the theme of this year's Lutheran youth gathering puts it. The Apostle Paul concludes our text by exhorting each one of us in these words. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And while you might often think or feel that as a young Christian you are rather out of place in a world that has gone insane by making virtues out of sin, by calling that which is evil good and that which is good evil, and all that other woke culture nonsense, well, you're in good company, the company of the Apostle Paul, the company of the reformer Martin Luther, yes, the company of our Lord Jesus himself, who, by the way, happens to be the one Leon Russell is actually referring to in that aforementioned song. Strangers in a strange land, to be sure, but of whom St. Paul reminds us in Ephesians. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God in Christ Jesus, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.